Back to Basics Pneumatic Tourniquet Use by Lisa Spruce Abstract Pneumatic tourniquets are commonly used in surgeries involving the limbs to achieve a nearly bloodless surgery in an optimal operating field or when administering regional anesthesia during surgery on a limb. Complications can arise from the use of tourniquets, including nerve injuries, pain, compartment syndrome, pressure injuries, chemical burns, and tissue necrosis. More serious injuries, including deep vein thrombosis, thermal damage to tissues, severe ischemic injuries, and rhabdomyolysis also can occur. Therefore, it is important for perioperative team members to understand how to use pneumatic tourniquets effectively and safely to provide the best possible care to patients. This article addresses the safety risk to patients when using pneumatic tourniquets and optimal safe use of these devices. Surgeons or anesthesia care providers use pneumatic tourniquets to occlude blood flow, reduce the amount of blood in the surgical field during surgery on extremities, or confine an IV bolus of regional anesthetic in an extremity. Most often, these devices are used in surgeries of the limbs by orthopedic surgeons, plastic surgeons, anesthesia care providers, and podiatrists. When a limb is exsanguated using a tourniquet, there is an autotransfusion of blood from the peripheral circulation to the central circulation. Progressively, cellular hypoxia, acidosis, and cooling of the limb occur. Mild changes to the muscles also occur and are usually well tolerated, but complications can arise from the use of tourniquets, including nerve injuries, pain, compartment syndrome, pressure injuries, chemical burns, and tissue necrosis. More serious injuries, including deep vein thrombosis, thermal damage to tissues, severe ischemic injuries, and rhabdomyolysis can also occur. Therefore, it is prudent for perioperative team members to understand how to use pneumatic tourniquets effectively and safely to provide the best possible care to patients. This Back to Basics article highlights some basic concepts relevant to caring for a patient whose procedure includes the use of a pneumatic tourniquet. For in-depth guidance, see the AORN Guideline for Care of Patients Undergoing Pneumatic Tourniquet-Assisted Procedures. How-To Guide Perioperative team members should not assume that all patients undergoing surgery to their extremities will require the use of a pneumatic tourniquet. For each individual patient, nurses should consult with a surgeon or anesthesia care provider to determine if a tourniquet will be needed. If the procedure does require the use of a tourniquet, perioperative RN should assess the patient's skin where the tourniquet will be applied, the skin distal to this area, the size and shape of the extremity, and the peripheral pulses distal to the cuff. In addition, the perioperative RN should screen the patient for any conditions that may be affected by or contraindicated for use of pneumatic tourniquets, including the following. Impaired circulation or peripheral vascular disease. Venous thromboembolism. Extremities with dialysis access devices, such as arteriovenous grafts and fistulas. Previous revascularization of the extremity. Hemoglobinopathy, such as sickle cell anemia, acidosis, tumor distal to the tourniquet, infection of the extremity, supplements, such as creatinine, medications, such as antihypertensives, open fracture, history of pain or weakness in the extremity bones or muscles, or increased intracranial pressure. Findings from assessing the patient for these contraindications could alter the plan of care. The entire perioperative team should be aware of any positive assessment findings and adjust the anesthetic or surgical plan to reduce oxidative stress resulting from tourniquet-induced ischemia, followed by reperfusion. After the assessment and before the patient enters the OR, 
the surgical team should determine which pneumatic tourniquet cuff is most appropriate. The cuff should be as wide as possible without inhibiting exposure of the surgical site. The team should select a contoured cuff for extremities that taper, for example, change in size, between the upper and lower edge of the cuff. And a cuff should be long enough for the bladder to overlap on the limb and achieve full engagement of the hook and loop fastener, for example, Velcro. If IV regional anesthesia is planned, the perioperative RN should also identify and discuss any patient medication allergies and local anesthetic sensitivities with the anesthesia care provider to clarify the plan for regional anesthesia before applying the tourniquet. The perioperative RN should confirm whether a dual bladder cuff will be used, that the plan location of the extremity is wide enough to accommodate the additional width of the dual bladder cuff, and that a higher pressure is planned to compensate for the narrow size of each cuff bladder. A higher pressure is often required to achieve vessel occlusion when using a dual bladder cuff because the individual bladders are narrower than the bladders of a single cuff tourniquet. The purpose of using a dual bladder cuff for a patient undergoing regional anesthesia of an extremity is to decrease the risk of the anesthetic escaping from the blocked area and to reduce the patient's pain from the tourniquet. If the patient experiences pain at the proximal inflated tourniquet site, which is inflated first, under the direction of the anesthesia care provider, the nurse can inflate the distal cuff and deflate the proximal cuff, offering the patient relief of pain at the proximal cuff site. After the procedure is finished, the nurse should deflate the tourniquet, as determined by the anesthesia care provider, to prevent a high concentration of the anesthetic from being released into the patient's system. Patient safety is the number one priority for perioperative professionals and should be the number one consideration when using a pneumatic tourniquet. Before using any pneumatic tourniquet, the perioperative nurse should verify that the entire system, for example, cuff, tubing, connectors, and regulator, is clean, complete, and functions according to the manufacturer's instructions for use. The nurse should test the tourniquet for function, determine if any cracks, leaks, or other damage are present before use, and inspect the O-rings, for example, the connection points from the cuff to the regulator. All connections should be secure and compatible with a pneumatic tourniquet regulator. The nurse should also inspect the Velcro and ribbons on the cuff, and if applicable, confirm that the regulator has a full battery charge. Pneumatic tourniquets can harbor bacteria. A study by Sahu and others analyzed 16 tourniquets by culturing two inner and two outer areas of each tourniquet. The tourniquets were found to be colonized with Staphylococcus aureus, Bacillus, diphtheroids, Pseudomonas, Acinetobacter, Enterococci, Enterobacteria, and Candida. The nurse or environmental cleaning personnel should disinfect reusable pneumatic tourniquets after every use according to the manufacturer's recommendations for cleaning. The perioperative RN should verify the correct surgical site before any surgical team member applies the tourniquet cuff and should verify the tourniquet inflation pressure during the timeout. Placing a tourniquet on the wrong limb could lead to wrong site surgery. Confirming the location of the tourniquet and the appropriate pressure setting during the timeout improves team communication, helps ensure consistent documentation, and reduces the likelihood of error. To protect the patient from nerve injury, the surgical team member placing the tourniquet should apply it to the proximal part of the limb where the circumference and bulk of the muscle are greatest. The team member placing the tourniquet should not reposition the cuff after it has been applied in its final position, but should fully remove and reapply the cuff if a position change is necessary. AORN recommends using soft, low-lint padding materials, such as limb protection sleeves or two layers of stockinette. 
These materials should be placed around the limb according to the manufacturer's instructions for use. The padding should not pinch the patient's skin or wrinkle. Bozeman and Robinson assessed the complication rates of pneumatic tourniquets applied directly to the skin without padding in patients undergoing foot and ankle surgery. The authors assessed 97 patients, 47 with thigh tourniquets, and 50 with ankle tourniquets, and found no complications. No patients experienced lacerations, burns, abrasions, bruising, or blistering. This study demonstrated that pneumatic tourniquets could be used safely without padding in patients undergoing foot and ankle surgery. The surgeon and anesthesia care provider should direct the inflation of the tourniquet cuff and the exsanguination of the limb. Exsanguination is performed before the inflation of the tourniquet using an elastic wrap, such as an S-mark bandage, to compress the superficial blood vessels and force the blood out of the extremity to enhance the bloodless surgical field. Perioperative RN should make sure that there is an elastic wrap available and elevate the extremity to allow venous blood to exit the limb. They should then alert the anesthesia care provider just before exsanguination of extremity begins so he or she can monitor the patient for any complications. Benefit Pneumatic tourniquets are of great benefit to surgeons to ensure an optimal, for example, nearly bloodless, surgical field and to reduce blood loss during extremity surgery. Anesthesia care providers may also use pneumatic tourniquets to administer regional anesthesia safely when performing certain procedures on extremities. Strategies for success To ensure successful procedures involving pneumatic tourniquets, the surgeon or anesthesia care provider should determine the tourniquet inflammation pressure based on the patient's systolic blood pressure and limb circumference. Limb occlusion pressure, LOP, is the pressure required to occlude arterial flow to the limb and should be kept to the minimal effective pressure. Limb occlusion pressure can be measured manually by feeling for pulses in the limb distal to a tourniquet cuff or by using a Doppler ultrasound to hear arterial pulsations. Pulses indicate that arterial blood continues to flow past the cuff. Alternatively, Masswee and others developed a technique that uses a tourniquet cuff with a continuous pneumatic passageway surrounding the limb as a dual-purpose patient sensor and pneumatic effector. This type of device can be used as a simple, effective, and accurate technique for determining and personalizing LOP measurements. When using a wide-contoured thigh cuff for patients older than 18 years of age, two studies have recommended incorporating the following safety margins into the LOP. Add 40 to 50 mmHg for LOP less than 130 mmHg. Add 60 to 75 mmHg for LOP between 131 and 190 mmHg. Add 80 to 100 mmHg for LOP greater than 190 mmHg. For pediatric patients, the cuff pressure setting should be adjusted by adding 50 mmHg to the LOP. If the surgical team did not determine LOP, a standard setting for tourniquet pressure may be used, 300 to 350 mmHg in lower limbs, and 200 to 250 mmHg in upper limbs. Researchers have not yet established a safe time for either pressure or duration of tourniquet inflation. However, time should be kept to a minimum. Horlocker and others found a strong correlation between prolonged tourniquet time and nerve injury. There was an approximately three-fold increase in the risk for nerve complications for each 30-minute increase in tourniquet time. Some researchers have recommended deflating the tourniquet every two hours with at least a 10-minute reperfusion time as a strategy to decrease patient risk. Perioperative RN should make sure that the pressure displays, audible alarms, 
and activation indicators are visible and loud enough to alert the team to any change in pressure, equipment failure, or lapse in a designated duration of inflation time. Perioperative RN should monitor the length of tourniquet inflation time and notify the surgeon at regular established intervals. If the tourniquet inflation time exceeds two hours, the team should determine if it is feasible to deflate the tourniquet for 10 to 15 minutes to allow for tissue reperfusion. It is important to recognize that hemodynamic changes may occur when the tourniquet is deflated. The surgeon and anesthesia care provider should direct the deflation of the tourniquet and monitor the patient for hemodynamic instability. The patient's blood pressure may drop and blood loss or a decrease in body temperature may occur. Patients should be monitored for changes in vital signs, oxygen saturation, temperature, skin condition under the tourniquet, for example, color, temperature, integrity, pulses distal to the cuff, surgical incision condition, for example, dressings and drains, and blood loss. There have been incidents of cardiac arrest after tourniquet deflation. A case report by Zaruki and others describes a patient who was undergoing surgery for fractures of both upper limbs. The first tourniquet was inflated to 350 mmHg and was released after 1 hour and 35 minutes. The second tourniquet was inflated to 350 mmHg and was released after 1 hour and 45 minutes. After the second tourniquet deflation, the patient experienced a cardiac arrest and was resuscitated. The researchers determined that the cause of the cardiac arrest was most likely an ischemia reperfusion syndrome coronary spasm as a result of successive excessively inflated tourniquets. Another case report by Gupta and Singh describes a patient who is undergoing repair of a tibia fracture with a tourniquet pressure of 350 mmHg. The tourniquet was released after 1 hour and 45 minutes. Five minutes after release, the patient experienced a cardiac arrest. He was resuscitated but had to be transferred to the intensive care unit on a ventilator for 24 hours before being weaned from the ventilator. The researchers determined that the cause of the arrest was reperfusion syndrome caused by excessive tourniquet pressure which led to sudden hypotension, hyperkalemia, and metabolic acidosis. The researchers recommended the following precautions. Use LOP to determine inflating pressure rather than using a predetermined fixed pressure. After a safe period, as determined by the surgeon or anesthesia care provider, deflate the tourniquet slowly and at short, for example, 10 to 15 minute intervals. Administer a bolus of IV fluid before deflation and monitor the patient closely during deflation time. Perioperative RN should be aware of this rare but potential complication associated with the use of tourniquets. Wrap-up. Pneumatic tourniquets are an effective and reliable way to achieve a nearly bloodless surgical field for optimal operating conditions, to minimize blood loss, and to administer regional anesthesia to an extremity. Safe use and awareness of the risk to patients are important to provide optimal care. Placing proper padding underneath a tourniquet, staying within safe limits of tourniquet time and pressure, deflating the tourniquet for short intervals after safe tourniquet time has elapsed, being aware of safety precautions, and cleaning tourniquets after use can help to reduce any potential complications. Perioperative RNs are integral to ensuring complete patient assessments and identifying any potential areas of concern or contraindications to ensure safe use of tourniquets. Implementing all these measures can help reduce the incidence of pneumatic tourniquet-related surgical complications.